today on Ag News Daily. We, we tried a lot of different uh, ways to purchase. The name your price is the one that stuck because it, it works the best. It kind of creates the competitive nature uh, of, of the transaction to, to get the sellers really competing for the business of the buyer. Well, this is Tanner Winterhoff alongside Delaney Howell bringing you your Tuesday Ag News Daily episode. Before we jump in, today's podcast is brought to you by Douglas Plant Health. We thank them for their strategic partnership with us here. How's Delaney doing today? I'm good, Tanner. How are you this morning? Good. Sun's up again. I don't know how long we're going to get to see it. Yes. But uh, it is certainly a great start to a Tuesday. It is. I got a nice walk in yesterday. It was like, you know, 55 degrees here. Sun was shining. It was uh, feeling like spring and I enjoy that. Yeah. We both the girls started off softball practice yesterday. So um, we are certainly feeling the spring itch as well. And so is the green belt because we got yesterday's first crop progress report released for the season tanner, making it the official start to the 2022 planting season. Now, of course, these reports are going to run every week and they'll switch to harvest progress eventually. But for the first planting progress report we got, uh, we showed that the nation is at 2% corn planted, which matches the five-year average pace. Soybeans will start in next week's planting progress report. But the bigger headline here was really what happened when it came to winter wheat. And as we continue to talk about drought in the southern plains and western portion of the United States, winter wheat conditions are continuing to show really poor conditions, just 30% in good to excellent, 36% in poor to very poor which the five-year average were typically at about 53% good to excellent. So heading into the key growing season here, winter wheat is already having a hard time to fight their way through this thing. Yeah, behind the eight ball, it seems like all the odds are stacked against a bearish market in the wheat. It, everything seems to be coming up in the favor of the bulls. It, it certainly does. And especially when you look at that uh, going on in the wheat market, then in the Corn and soybean market last week, Stonex Brazil updated their production estimates for Brazil specifically, soybean production Brazil specifically, and they actually rose their production estimate to 122, just over 122 million metric tons, up slightly from their 121 million metric tons from February and March. And this increase was really noted, Tanner, due to some key basically rainfall that they had received there in some key areas. And um, they've said that, you know, these numbers coming out of Monte Grosso de Sol, Monte Grosso, Goyas are starting to be a little bit larger than what they expected. And so we, we could see USDA, I don't know, you know, they're still commercial estimates and, and USDA estimates are still pretty different, but maybe the crop coming out of Brazil isn't quite as bad as what folks once thought. Yeah, that could be a good sign in the eyes of some and could be detrimental in the eyes of others. But uh, it's hard to root against somebody to have a good crop because of our, our goodwill and good nature. But we might need that because yesterday uh, at, coming out of Chicago was announced that the Chinese buyers bought another 1.08 million tons of U.S. corn. That's been their biggest purchase of U.S. grain since May of 2021. That was released by the U.S. government again on Monday, April 4th. This deal obviously comes from Ukraine's 
being the fourth world's largest exporter of corn, having all of their shipments snarled up by the Russian invasion. So China needed grain. They've uh, set this up to have 676,000 tons of that to be delivered during the 21-22 marketing year. That ends at the end of August and the rest of that contract to be delivered in 22-23. So that'll be a big shot in the arm here as the week begins for the corn market. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that piece of news up, Tanner, because I totally missed the eight ball on it yesterday. And, you know, as we were talking markets yesterday, we saw the fresh contract high put in the December corn contract yesterday. As Darren Newsom mentioned on the podcast, that's the first time we've surpassed the $7 mark since 2012. So it certainly bodes the question, are we on our way to some 2012 era prices? It's certainly setting up in very similar fashion. We, I always like to take quotes from former podcast guests that I've participated with. And uh, it's a Mark Twain quote that says, the history doesn't always repeat itself, but sometimes it rhymes. And this is starting to seem pretty close to a rhyming situation to that market we just discussed. Yes, it certainly is. I would agree with that uh, analogy, Tanner. It's a good one there. But I am going to talk a little bit about here the price-fixing allegation going on in the poultry industry. And this time, we're not talking avian influenza. We're talking about those couple of different lawsuits filed against five different executives of chicken-producing companies. They've had now two different mistrials, and the U.S. Justice Department asked a federal court on Thursday of last week in Denver to just drop this completely. This case was focused on competition in the $65 billion poultry industry, and the department did not drop charges against five other defendants. So there are still five folks on trial, uh, but five of those executives have now had two mistrials, and the DOJ has just simply said, let's drop it and focus on the ones that I guess we know we can get. So... Um, We still have about, I think two of them are Pilgrim Pride executives, a Claxton poultry executive, and then a couple salesmen are part of this actual case that will still continue to go on to court. I had actually completely forgotten about that news story. Um, I'm kind of glad that it has resurfaced. It will be interesting to see how they move forward and if they try to make an example out of those five that they know that they can get, or at least feel like their odds are a lot better that they can nail down. You'd have to think that's really what they're doing here. Focusing on the ones they can, they can nail down and letting the other couple ones, maybe they don't have as much evidence on or whatever. They let those guys go. And there's always in the world of law and legal that it could be scare tactics. If you set a precedence with the first group, you may be able to settle outside of court with the others to avoid those same types of repercussions. But Let's get out of the courtroom and head to Canada because Canada may be paving the way to help with the agricultural labor shortage. So on Monday, their federal government made significant changes to their temporary foreign worker program that should help Canada's agri-food sector. The federal government has listened to those food manufacturers and farmers that are struggling to hire meat cutters and fill job vacancies on the farm. So their Minister of Employment and Workforce Development announced that they will extend from nine-month periods to 18-month periods for valid uh, valid times to uh, adjust their new real rules under their LMIA, which allows those migrant workers to come into Canada 
and hold these potentially lower paying jobs, but not all the case. So they're looking to boost their packing plant capacities, which have dropped and have shackle vacancies of 20% or more due to labor concerns and boost up their agricultural sector by passing this adjustment to help fix their labor shortages. Well, Tanner, speaking of labor shortages, I can't imagine a ton of meat gets shipped via railway, but there's a larger issue going on out to the West here in the United States and into Canada, which has caused a lot of rail shipment delays of feed and grain to the West Coast. The National Grain and Feed Association and the USDA are asking the Surface Transportation Board or the STB to investigate some rail disruptions for ag products. Now, according to NGFA's chief economist, he said that feedstocks and grain shipments have been really delayed from the Corn Belt to the West Coast. And he said they're just flat out not receiving enough grain in time to fill vessels out of some of those key ports and make sure that feed mills have enough grain to uh, meet demand for livestock poultry. And so... Secretary Vilsack says that disruptions to agricultural shippers have become more constant and that this problem has really highlighted the rail surfaces are at a breaking point and essentially infrastructure and things need to improve. Well, and NGFA, that's a mouthful. His, the chief economist, uh, Max Fisher, is is continuing to just say that it's really due more so to labor challenges that are causing this disruption, less so infrastructure and other things that Secretary Vilsack have said. So certainly a little bit of conflicting opinion there between the two, but both USDA and NGFA have sent letters to the STB asking the organization to address these issues And they've asked for weekly updates from rail carriers to bring updates and services up to what they're saying an acceptable level is. But it's certainly kind of heads clashing against each other because we have grain to export. That's that's a fact. But we don't have the labor that's there to push this thing through. And I'm, I'm leaning towards favoring the NGFA's logic that it's not really an infrastructure issue. It's a labor issue at this point. It sounds political to me. It sounds oh, like, you, too. Mm-hmm. like you have the actual reason with the labor shortage and you have the political reason of infrastructure, um, at least from my observations from the outside in. It seems like when infrastructure is used in a bill or a title for funding, they get passed a lot easier and quicker than we do for bills that have to deal with immigration or labor shortages. Um, so it it might be a strategic play by Vilsack. By no means am I defending him to call it an infrastructure problem to potentially seek funding to help fix this, at least government funding. Um, but either way, I agree, Delaney, if we want to participate in the world market, we need to make sure that the commodities that we have to export can get to our coasts. Peter, that sounds a little sinister there. I I don't know if sinister is the right way, but it's certainly just trying to draw attention to what might actually be facts and might actually just be politic politics. Yes, it, it certainly could be. I got a little light news here to share as my last article for the day. The American Farm Trust Fund, which I didn't know existed until finding this article, announced that over 200 farmers would be receiving grants of up to $5,000 through their Brighter Future Fund. Farmers can use these grants to help improve farm viability, enable farmers to access markets, transfer or permanently protect farmland, 
or adopt regenerative agricultural practices. So this is a fund that was started in uh, 2020 by the Tillamook County Creamery Association, one of America's favorite farmer-owned co-ops. Understanding that farmers face hundreds to thousands of challenges on a daily basis, the BFF, which is the Brighter Future Fund, has given nearly $3.5 million in grants to more than 2,000 farmers across the nation through the pandemic, even after they had started right in the middle of COVID-19. They said that sometimes these funds are even used to help uh, farmers of minority get access to fair and equal rights as far as farming and considerations are concerned, or to help farms work on their legacy planning to put together succession plans and to keep their farms safe from being taken over. So the Brighter Future Fund from the American Farmland Trust is something that I just came across this morning, Delaney. Yeah, I've never heard of that either, but I do like the Tillamook uh, cheese and other products. Big fan. Absolutely. We just, my wife is also, and she's super excited. It just got started, sold in, just started selling in our local grocery store. Mm, Yes, it's so good. But Tanner, before we get to my last piece of news here, chatting about the markets, I wanted to remind folks that for many years, U.S. farmers in select markets have trusted SP1 as an integral part of their crops fertility program. Today, as fertilizer prices soar and supply chain challenges loom, DPH Biologicals is expanding access to this trusted biofertilizer, helping growers circumvent supply challenges while improving crop yield and profitability. With TerraTrove SP1 Classic, the complete biofertilizer, you can replace up to 50% of your starter fertilizer. Just visit dphbio.com. And Tanner, as we're chatting a little bit about the overnight markets here, you know, yesterday we certainly saw quite a bit of strength. As I mentioned, there are fresh contract highs in the December new crop contract. And heading into the opening session this morning, grains are looking like they're going to continue to hold on to some of that strength. Really sparked higher here by that USDA announcement of metric uh, 1.1, you know, basically metric tons of corn to China. And that certainly is keeping the floor in this thing this morning. We're also just really watching futures markets in both corn, soybeans, and wheat up across the board. So could make for an interesting Tuesday here today. Hopefully we don't see a turnaround Tuesday and head back the other direction. But by all accounts this morning, it seems like uh, we're going to be continuing to push this thing higher here this morning. I think we say every week that it'll be a a key week for traders and those watching the markets, but uh, I don't think there's going to be a week in the near future with the volatility and the number of aspects we have playing into this market to not pay attention. Each week's going to be important. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. You know, as we talked about kind of setting ourselves up here for a 2012 uh, rhyme and repeat, uh, it's going to be important to tune in and pay attention to what the markets are doing this week more than ever. But Tanner, that's enough chat about the markets. We got to kick it over to today's Tech Tuesday interview, talking about farm trade as we're looking at ways to get those key products, pesticides, fertilizers, etc. This company is uh, certainly playing their hands in trying to connect buyers with sellers. So let's turn it over to our conversation with farm trade.
For today's Tech Tuesday interview, we are talking to Jeff Stowe, who is the president of Farm Trade. Jeff, thank you so much, first of all, for coming on and chatting with us for our Tech Tuesday episode this week. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate you taking the, the time to learn about our business. So before we actually get started learning about Farm Trade and what you guys are doing, let's get to know you a little bit more. Tell us about your background. Well, um, I reside in North Carolina, um, started uh, uh, with a company and before I was in uh, agriculture, I joined agriculture in the year 2000, a company called Excess Ag, uh, which was kind of the predecessor to, to farm trade. And I was in sales for that company. And uh, eventually, uh, my brother and I uh, purchased the business from the parent company uh, in 2013. So Jeff, thinking back to prior to 2013, what originally launched the business in the first place? Uh, well, the founder uh, was Fulton Breen. Um, he worked for, at the time, it was uh, Roan Palenque, uh, which turned into, I believe, uh, Bayer uh, Crop Science at this point. Uh, but he he uh, was uh, worked for uh, Roan Palenque, uh, you know, in the 90s and had the idea uh what looking at the channel for agricultural chemicals, uh, just had, it was, it's kind of, uh, not very open. It kind of, uh, closes, uh, some competition out and it's, uh, you know, as a kind of a strict, it was manufacturer to distributor to retailer. Um, and he decided, well, let's change that a little bit and, uh, offer a, a place where people can buy and try to save money on, on chemicals and, uh, add competition to the industry. So one interesting thing that I definitely wanted to talk about with farm trade is that it's on a name your price kind of system. So why don't you take us through those steps and really how it works? Sure. The name your price, uh, we we tried a lot of different uh, ways to purchase. The name your price is the one that stuck because it, it works the best. It kind of creates the competitive nature uh, of, of the transaction to to get the sellers really competing for the business of the buyer. Um, so as a buyer, which could be a farmer or a, a retailer that's looking to purchase, uh, lists a name your price, offer to buy whatever product they need, say, um, you know, whether it's uh, glyphosate or, or glufosinate or any of the other uh, popular chemicals. Um, they choose a price that includes delivery to their door and they're contracting in that they will buy this product at this price uh, if somebody can match that price which goes to all the sellers who are registered to sell on farm trade and they can go on and either match the price um, or they can uh, make a counter offer and then it's up to the buyer if they want to accept. So I'm curious with the selling and buying system, name your price system, is this really geared towards retailers? Is it geared towards farmers or can anyone pretty much hop in and become a user of the system? Uh, for a buyer, anyone can buy um, with the proper licensing. Uh, there are some products that are restricted, uh, which would require either an applicator license or a dealer license uh, if they're a retailer. Uh, but as for selling, uh, to sell the chemicals through a, a, our service, you'd need to have a pesticide dealer's license. 
So what exactly are you hearing from buyers about farm trade? I assume there has to be some kind of level of trust when it comes to, you know, buying chemicals in this kind of manner. So is there any kind of feedback that you can provide for us? Um, Yeah, I mean, our best feedback is referrals from our customers, uh, people that we've worked with for, you know, 10, even 20 years uh, that come back and continue to use us and then refer us to uh, friends and neighbors uh, to purchase with us. Uh, We have a a system that protects both sides. So when a farmer or retailer comes in to buy, they order the product, pay upfront, but that money is held in our escrow account. And we hold that until it's uh, until the product is delivered, and they've got a two-day inspection period, and that's when we pay the seller. So there is some there is some trust building, but then we have a system in place to uh, facilitate a, a safe transaction for both parties. So, can you explain to us a little bit more about that transition process? And basically, once you become a buyer or a seller. Uh, how do I go about actually making those transactions through the site? Okay, so as a buyer, you'd list a name your price, offer to buy, and uh, if that price gets matched, you'll you'll have chosen which payment option you'd like to use. Uh, buyers could simply mail us a check. Uh, they could do a wire transfer, an electronic ACH electronic check, or Visa or Mastercard, and and. So once a trade goes through, that's when we collect that payment, um, and then we hold it in our escrow account until the product's delivered and paying the seller after uh, two business days after it arrives. Well, Jeff, if any of our listeners want to do some work with Farm Trade or learn a little bit more, how can they get in contact with you? Uh, there's, they can call us. Uh, we love to take phone calls uh, at. Um, They can also happy to email me directly or my brother. Uh, I'm Jeff at farmtrade.com or Kevin at farmtrade.com. Awesome. Well, Jeff, once again, thank you so much for coming on and chatting about farm trade with us today. We certainly appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for the time. And again, a big thank you there to Jeff for coming on and chatting with us today. And I wanted to remind folks again, for many years, U.S. farmers in select markets have trusted SP1 as an integral part of their crops fertility program. Today, as fertilizer prices soar and supply chain challenges loom, DPH Biologicals is expanding access to this trusted biofertilizer, helping growers circumvent supply challenges while improving crop yield and profitability. With TerraTrove SP1 Classic, the complete biofertilizer you can replace up to 50% of your starter fertilizer. Just visit dphbio.com. Tanner, I tell you what, that was a great interview there. Certainly interesting. I hadn't realized that this company had been around for so long. Yeah, the Tech Tuesday you would think would be uh, new startup companies as such, but that's not the case. We can still get great tech as it evolves out of companies that have been working for a while. Yes, absolutely. Just like uh, DPH Biologicals, you know, in their biological space, they've been around for quite a few years as well. And we certainly appreciate their sponsorship of the podcast here moving forward. But Tanner, we also appreciate our listeners and people that tune in with us on social media. Find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. With that, Tanner, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go.